and amen. Well, three weeks ago, we began a series, an Advent series. Advent refers to the coming, to anticipate the coming. And we're doing this because God does that. God sent John the Baptist ahead. And then before that, he sent prophecies ahead to prepare people for this momentous event in history, the turning point in history when God would become a human being. And what we've done traditionally and so many other Word of Faith and charismatic churches have done is we just let Christmas sneak up on us. We have a Christmas service and then we go into the new year. And I just felt several years ago that we really needed to, to do what the old traditional churches have done because there's a reason for that. And so for several years now we've done this and, and I think this is the third or fourth year we've done it. And so what we're talking about this season to build up to, to, East, to Sunday morning... Uh, <laughs> to Christmas morning, is, is looking at the Christmas story from God's side. Because God's side began before that, mor- that morning in Bethlehem. God's side began before nine months earlier when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her what God was going to do. God's side began, we find from the Word of God, before these wor- this world was ever formed. So that tells me, first of all, whatever you may be dealing with right now or whatever we may have to deal with next year, God's already gone ahead of us and has made a provision for it. So we can rest in His faithfulness, and this is another proof of that. So we began to look at this story from God's side, and the the verse that we're using as the basis for this story, and Verda referred to it as John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The first Sunday we looked at the Word. What does that mean, that, that, what, that God is the Word? And we're not going to go back over all that. That just means that term we use as words that says, I'm speaking now. But it's bigger than that. It's an expression of someone. And in the beginning we had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Son was this full expression of His Father. So the full expression of His Father became flesh and dwelt among us. So now we could see God. We could hear what God sounded like. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And then last week we looked at the second part of this, and the Word became flesh. And we talked about the process that God went through to become flesh. And He didn't, he didn't do what He could have done, which is just have the Son of God appear and walk out of the hills of Galilee or walk into Jerusalem, into the t- temple someday. But He literally went through the same process that you and I went through to become a human being. No shortcuts. He completely identified with us from the moment of conception right up through the moment of His death. He completely identified with us. And that shows again the purpose of all of this is to show how much God's loved us to the extent that God would go through to come to us, to identify with us, to know us, and to bring us to Himself. Well, today we're going to look at the third part of this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, that as of the only begotten Son of God. So, to do this, let's go to John 15. We started the series before we did this. We looked at these verses, because this is going to show again what God was doing. This is Jesus speaking at the end of His life. We're talking about at the beginning of His life. And they tie together. So look what Jesus is saying there. As the fathers loved me... I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Stay there a second. 
For years I've preached on this verse, I've read this verse, I've thought about this verse, but it's only really been in the last year that this really hit me, what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, the same love which which the Father has loved me throughout all of eternity, through my, bear, through my birth, through my 33 years of walking on this earth, that same love with which God the Father has loved me and has put in me, that's the love that I have, with which I have loved you. So abide, live in this love that I have for you because the love I have for you came from my Father. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and I abide in His love. And He goes on to say uh, that, that, that His commandment is that we love one another. So essentially what Jesus is saying is the Father's loved me. All of His love has been poured out in me and then He sent me to walk among you so that I could take the love that He has for you that He's put in me and I now could give that love to you so you can give that love to one another. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and dwelt among us and walked among us. He lived among us. He dwelt The word dwelt means literally to take up residence and to abide in. I want to read you a quote from a book by Andrew Murray that has changed my life, changed my walk with God. And if you want the reference to this book, it's in my notes. It's a footnote in my notes. The book's called Abide in Christ. The title is much longer than this. It's a 31-day devotion, but it talks, it really takes this idea that Jesus taught about abiding in Him, and it fleshes it out and makes it so real to you. But here's a quote, and this message comes, was inspired by this quote. Now, I want you to listen carefully, because I'm going to read it twice. It's in my notes, too. This is what we're talking about. And God became a man. And when He did divine love began to run in the channel of a human heart. It becomes now the love of man to man. The love that fills all of heaven in all of eternity is now ever to be daily seen in the life of earth and of time. Think about that. The love that fills heaven the love that fills and created the universe, the capacity of God to love, this divine, immortal, inconceivable compassion and love of God was now in its fullness living in the heart, the human heart of a man. And that man began to live among us. That man began to speak to others out of that love. That man began to respond to the needs of others out of that love. And everything that that man did through the 33 and a half years of his life was that divine, immortal love of God flowing out of a human being into the lives of other humans. And that's what we're going to talk about today. For the first time 
in all of eternity, the entire love of God for his creation was now living in the heart of a human being. His love, God's eternal love, could now be seen and could now be experienced. His love could now act directly to bless and help those whom God loves and whom God created. And his love could now become the love of one man, of man to man. Remember, Jesus is the human expression of God's love and compassion for mankind. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about how he did this and how he lived this out in, in some different areas. And then we're going to bring it to you and to me. So the first group we're going to talk about is, is, is how through this man, Jesus, God expressed his compassion for those that were bound up by sin. Those that were bound up and caught in, in the sin, which all of us were. But we're going to talk about some specific cases that, that religion looks at differently than God. So let's go to John chapter 8. We're going to spend a little time and read some scripture today, but that's okay to read scripture in church. It won't, it's okay to do that. And it's okay to pray in church. Those are not bad things to do in church. So, okay. So let's just start. We're going to read down through the first 11 verses here. Very familiar story. And Jesus went about, went to the Mount of Olives. And now early in the morning, he came to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Now remember, this is God in a human being. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. Some of the versions say in the very act. And when they had set her in his midst, they said to him, now I can't imagine that they kind of walked her in by her hand and just said, would you get a chair for this lady, please? No, I'm sure they grabbed her and they threw her down in front of him, sprawled out. Probably disheveled. We don't know that he, she fully had everything on her body in the right place because she was caught in the act of adultery. They grabbed her and they just threw him in front of her. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act, the very act. They really emphasize that. Now, notice what they're going to do. They're going to they're bring the law of Moses up. Because we're going to see in a minute, they're not doing this because they're trying to execute righteousness. They're doing it to trap Jesus. Because he's been preaching love and compassion, and they're now going to bring the law up and say, what are you going to do with this? This woman has violated the law, and she deserves to die. Now Moses, verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us, commanded us, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something with which to accuse him. What they were trying to do was to get him to say things that violated the law. Now what man had done is taken the law that God had given them for a purpose, and they had made it into a rigid set of rules 600 and I think it's 18, and they were 
they were religiously and very, very um, uh, uh, unforgivingly carrying them out, except when they applied to them. Of course, we'd never do that, would we? We would never hold others to a standard that we would be gracious to ourselves with. I know we'd never do that. So we're talking about the Pharisees. So, so this is what they're trying to do. They throw her down and they say they're, they're trying to catch him because what they want to do is if he's going to be compassionate on her, they want to, they want to accuse him of you can't be the Messiah because you're violating the law. On the other hand, if they get him to stone her, then he's not displaying the love and compassion that he was communicating. So this is what's underneath this. But Jesus, he said, you never try to outsmart God. <laughs> Look what he does. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. <laughs> Do you ever think he was doing that with you sometimes? God, I don't think he's like he's down doodling in the sand, you know. And there have been, there have been commentaries written about wonder what he was speculating. What was he writing in the sand? He was doodling. <laughs> he was not, if it were important, they would tell us what he wrote in the sand. <clears throat> it, it may be that he was waiting to hear what the Spirit of God was telling him to answer. If that's so, that's wisdom. That's something I've learned. I don't do it all the time. But when some challenge comes at you, not to react and just speak your whatever comes out of your mouth, because usually the first thing that comes out of our mouth is not God's wisdom. And you just listen inside and hear, listen for the wisdom of God. <clears throat> as though he didn't hear. Now look what he's going to do, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he gave him, he gave him a chance. <laughs> but they kept after him. <clears throat> when they continued to asking him, he raised himself up, and look what he's going to do. He said, okay, he who's without sin among you, let him throw a stone first. So not, notice what he does. He skips over the issue of whether she deserved to be stoned. Because clearly, under the law of Moses, she deserved to be stoned because that was the penalty for adultery. Whoa, what would happen today? <laughs> if that were the penalty for adultery. Maybe we'd have less of it. <laughs> but he skips over the issue of the judgment she deserves and he addresses who has the right to carry out the judgment. And notice how he decides that. He who is without sin among you... Now go back to verse... He who is without sin among you you're right, he's saying. You're right. She deserves to be stoned. Settled issue. Now let's talk about who has the right here to carry out that judgment. And here's the standard. Whichever one among you, among you, whichever one's among you, has never sinned yourself, you throw the first stone. And notice what they did. Verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. He gave time for his words to sink in. Next verse. Then those who heard it being convicted in their conscience 
one out, one by one. You can kind of see the scene. They're all gathered around him. He's down doodling again, waiting for his words to sink in. Their conscience begins to prick them, and slowly by surely they begin to fade away. Maybe they're dropping stones as they go away. And notice it says, beginning with the oldest to even to the last. See, the older ones of us, we got more to remember. <laughs> so now they're all gone. Yeah, but, but, but what about justice and righteousness? What about that adultery is a sin and it, it deserves to be judged? What about that? That's what they were asking. But see, they weren't asking that out of sincerity. They were asking it to trip him up, to trap him. And when Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in the midst, verse 10, he raised himself up, saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are those who accuse you? Has no one condemned you? Keep going. And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus, notice she calls him Lord. And Jesus said to her, Then neither do I condemn you. Stop there a second. The only one in that group under the standard that Jesus gave who had the right to pick up a stone and throw it was Jesus. And he chose to give her compassion and forgiveness. Remember, this is the compassion and love of God in the heart of a man towards others that are bound up by sin. We don't know her background. We don't know her story. We don't know that she's, and we're going to see a woman, another woman in a minute, who's just, who's just beaten down by life. So we don't know why she was in, caught. She don't know why she was in adultery, whether it was a long time of, We just don't know that information. But for her to be in that situation, something has to have gone wrong in her life. And here is God's in the flesh face to face with her, the only one with a right to condemn her and to judge her. And he shows compassion towards her. But notice he doesn't end there. He doesn't say, okay, this is okay. He said, go and sin no more. He acknowledged it was sin, but he gave her another chance. He gave her grace and forgiveness because that's the heart of God without saying sin was okay. Let's go to John chapter 4. There's another encounter that God has. In, in Christ. Now, the, the, just the background of the story here, because so, we we're not going to read the whole story here. Jesus and his disciples are on his way through Samaria. And I've shared this with you before. Samaria was a, was a, a, a land in between two sections of Israel. The southern section known as Judah, which is where Jerusalem was, which is where the big city was, and the northern section of Galilee where Jesus was born and where Jesus lived. 
and he had to, to go from one to the other. He had to go through on the major trade routes. He had to go through Samaria. So he's on his way through Samaria, forgotten which way he's going, and he's tired, and it's noontime, and the, the, the disciples are hungry and thirsty. So they stop in this t- place called Sychar by a well of, that Jacob had built hundreds of years before. And it's about noontime. Now, the practice in those days was for the women of the village at the very first light of dawn to go out to the well and draw the water that they were going to need for their daily work, for their family, and for their whatever else in the, in the, in the first light of dawn. And they would, I'm sure, gather around and talk and you know, gossip and whatever they did. And then they would come back down. But this is noontime. There's nobody else there. It's like heat of the day. And Jesus comes by the well and he's sitting there. And while he's sitting there, this woman, this lone woman comes up with her water pot and goes to draw water and Jesus is sitting there. Again, here's God in the flesh. The love and compassion of God in the flesh is sitting there and he asks her a question. He asks for water. And she's startled. And she says, why? Because there's two things that are wrong with this in the normal culture. First of all, a Jew would not speak to a Samaritan because they hated each other. It was a racial issue. And I won't go into the background of it, but it was a racial, the best way we could identify with it, it was a racial issue. So if you get one race hating another race, what's going to happen? That race is going to hate them back again. And that's what was going on. Secondly, she was a woman, and a woman had no place in society apart from a man unless she was doing this kind of work. And so she's up there unaccompanied, and it was not proper for a man to speak to a woman unless there was a male there with her. So she says, when he asks her for a drink of water, notice how God, God starts his, his, his encounter with her by asking for something. Something she could give him, he was vulnerable to her. And she startled. She said, how are you, a Hebrew male, asking me, a woman, Samaritan woman, for water? That, that was just Jesus' opening. Because then he says, if you knew who it was that asked you, you would ask him for living water. Now he's raising the conversation to what he's really about. Put the verse back up again, please. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not thirst again or have to come here to draw. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, now this looks like a total change of conversation, but what Jesus is after, he's, he's, he's after, he's trying to reach her soul. And now he's going to confront her with the truth of her life. Because if she'll open up and be honest with him, that will let him in to do what he wants to, to give what he wants to give to her. So he says, go call your husband and come here. Verse 17. And the woman answered, said, now she's, this is true. She's what we try to do with one another with God. She's going to tell them the truth, but not everything. She says, well, I, I, I'm not married. I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband. Verse 18. Well, he goes on to say, for you've had five husbands. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with is the one you're living with you're not married to. So here's the story. This is what we're talking about here. Jesus has come to this woman, 
Why is she up there at noon? Because all the, all the proper women of the village came at sunrise. So she's up there because she's an outcast. She's up there then because she needs water, but, but she's been married five times. Now we don't know the background, but by the time she got through number five, she's given up on life. Life's beaten her down. We don't know anything about these five relationships, but we know she's given up because she's now living with a guy that she's not going to marry. So we run, people, life has beaten her down. And is it sin for her to live with a man she's not married to? Yes. But Jesus goes with compassion to a broken person. He doesn't come and judge her. He brings the compassion and love of God to bring healing to her. Just as He brought healing to the woman caught in the act of adultery. If God's motive was just to judge us all, we'd all be puddles of boiling oil, (laughs) fried flesh. John 3.16 Famous verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. But the next verse said, For He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The only condemnation comes from rejecting this gift of love, not from a messed up life. Not that we're condoning it. He didn't condone it. But He came to bring healing and wholeness because that is the heartbeat of God. That is the compassion of God and is now dwelling in the heart of a man. Let's go and look at His compassion for those of an outcast society. Mark chapter 2. And he passed by and saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax office. He's a tax collector. And he said to him, follow me. So he just got up and followed him. Verse 15. Now it happened as he was dining at Levi's house. So what happens is Levi, who's a tax collector, now comes to follow him and he invites Jesus for dinner at his house. And as he was dining in Levi's house, many many tax collectors and sinners sat down together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. I want to to understand the impact of the import of this. You have to understand what what a tax collector meant. He was not an IRS agent. A tax collector was a Jew, was a Hebrew man that the Roman government licensed to collect taxes for them from his own people. And they gave him an amount that he had to collect. And anything he could collect above that, he kept for himself. So the tax collectors were profiting by the Roman, by the Roman uh, d- dominance by taking money from their own people. So they were despised and they were hated as traitors. The term sinners refers to people that were bound up by sin, who in the eyes of the religious people, 
were failures. In the lives of the religious people, they were scum. And notice, they came to be with Jesus. And they followed him. Verse 16. And that when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, doesn't he know who these people are? He's supposed to be a man of God. He should realize who these people are. See, they're looking at men and women. They're looking at broken lives through religious eyes. But God doesn't look at us that way. He looks at us through his heart of compassion. And when Jesus heard, heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, and they didn't get it at all. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. To eat with them was the equivalent of fellowshipping with them and accepting them. So they're outraged because he's accepting these people that are sinners and are tax collectors. They're the scum of society. And he's not just talking to them, he's accepting them. He's being with them. He's talking with them. He's relating with them. He's including them in his conversation and his meals. His answer was that he came to rescue them, those that knew they were sinners, and not that those that thought they were holy. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to see this brought out in more, and we're going to hopefully get through this. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, I love this verse, got to me a few years ago. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near him to hear him. Understand this. Remember who he is. He's a man, but he's also God. He's holy. And look who wants to be around him. Look who wants to sit at his feet and to listen to what he has to say. The tax collectors and the sinners. My question is, why don't they want to come and listen to us? They were attracted to him. The holiest, the the only perfectly holy man that's ever walked on the earth, the only one who had a right to judge them, they wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So somehow he was not communicating to them judgment and anger and condemnation. Somehow he was communicating to them compassion and love. And listen to this, a hope that God wants to deliver you out of what you're stuck in. That hope drew people to him. How come we got to use social media? How come we've got to advert? How come they're not standing in line today to come and hear what we have to say? How come at work they're not coming up to you and saying, What do you have that I don't have? How come they're not drawn to you and drawn to me? They came and sat because he gave them hope. He gave them love and acceptance. Okay, let's go on. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes were upset again. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Don't need who he is. Verse 3. We're going to go right on down through this. So he spoke to them this parable. Again, we're looking at the compassion of God in a man. Verse 4. 
What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after this one which is lost until he finds it? Verse 5. And when he's found that he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who don't need repentance. Verse 8. I'm going to stop there. Now, now listen to what he's saying. Let's get into this a little bit. Oh, boy. He's saying this. That one sheep that got lost was so valuable, he was willing to leave the other 99 and go find it. See, in, in our society and man's thinking, well... One out of 99, one out of 100, that's a pretty good percentage. If you end up with 99%, that's a pretty good success rate. But in the heart of God, 99%'s not enough. It was one time I had heard people say, you know, you know if, 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 you were the only, if I was the only person that needed Jesus to come and die, He would have done that. And I said to the Lord one day, I said, Lord, if that's true, I need you to show me a scripture. And He took me really that. See, that's my heart. Let this sink in. If you were the only person that had sinned, and all the rest of us were just great, He still would have sent Jesus to go through the same thing just for you. Because the compassion of God is that you are that precious and important to Him. And that ran contrary to religious thought then, and it does today. Now, we're going to shorten this down. Now, he now goes on to tell a story that we're all very familiar with. The story's about a father and his two sons. And one son, the younger one son, comes to his father one day and says, you know, I've been online, I've, been, I've, been, I've got some friends I've been, you know, communicating with, we've been tra- texting back and forth, you know, and I realize, I just, you know, I'm feeling my oats, I'm full of life now. I, father, I'm going to take the share of my inheritance that's due to me now, and I'm just going to go off, and I, I know you have plans for me, but I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to assert my own life. And notice the father lets him go gives him his share of the inheritance, and he lets him go. Imagine how broken that father's heart was. But he didn't hold on to him. Listen to this mother's. He let him go. But he didn't let him go in his heart. And the boy goes out, and we know the story. He's the prodigal son. He finds out how well he did on his own. And when he spent all the inheritance, he ended up hiring himself out to a pig farmer, which for a Jew was the lowest you could get. And he ended up feeding the pigs, and he became so hungry, he envied what the pigs were eating. You've got to be pretty hungry to envy what the pigs are eating. And then here's the key, parents. He came to his senses. That's what you want to pray over your children that aren't serving God. He came to his senses and he said, my father's servants at home do better than I'm doing here. I'm going to go home and ask for a job. 
And he started at home. Now notice this. It says that when the father saw him a long way off, the only way he could see him a long way off is he was waiting every day, looking out over that horizon. Just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. This is the heart of the father. Just waiting, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. And he saw at one moment this little thing coming over the side, over the horizon, and it gets bigger and bigger, and his heart begins to beat faster. Maybe this is him, maybe this is him. And he's beginning to notice his walk. I know my son's walk. It's, it's slower now. It's kind of, he's kind of bent over, but it's slower. But I can recognize my son's walk. And then what he did is he ran. He pulled his robe up between his legs, tied it, and he ran towards his son. Now, you understand what that means? For a Hebrew patriarch, a father never went after anybody. They had to come to him. A father would never degrade himself to the point of running after a son, especially one who turned his back on him. But what moved that father was his compassion, his love for his son. He, he, all, of his, all of his dignity mattered nothing to him. All he saw was his son, and his son was coming home, and he did everything he could. He ran to that son. And God did the same thing. Jesus laid aside his dignity and laid aside his honor to run after you and after me. And when he caught him and got him, he threw his arms around him. The son wasn't even cleaned up yet. Took his ring off, put his robe on, and the son's going through the speech he'd rehearsed, which is, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God, and I, I want to I want to come, but will you please put me with one of your hired servants? And the father, because I don't deserve to be your son. But he wasn't his son because he deserved anything. He was his son because he was born out of his father. And the father never listened to all his religious talk. He just cleaned him up, put his robe on him, threw a feast for him, and he said, all I know is my son who was lost has now come home. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God, our Father. And when he prepared his love and his compassion for the physically and spiritually oppressed. I'm just going to read down through scriptures here. We don't have time. In Matthew 1, 40 through 42, Jesus was moved by compassion to heal a leper. And he did it by touching this man who was an outcast of society because he, was, he, 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 had, he tested positive for COVID-19. I mean, he had leprosy. I've thought of that sometimes as I've been around. Being, <laughs> and, 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 and this was a disease that was communicated by touch. And so what, this man had not been touched by a human being maybe for years. And God reached his hand out, out of love for him, to give him a human touch of love and compassion. And it says he healed him out of compassion. Matthew twenty twenty nine through 34, he healed two blind men out of compassion for them. Mark 5, verses 1 through 5, he delivers the man possessed by a thousand demons out of compassion for him. Luke 7, verse 11 through 15, he restores a widow's son to her who was on the funeral procession, going to bury him, 
And Jesus runs across that and she's a widow, bereft, she's lost her only child and, and Jesus, out of compassion, raises him up and gives him back to her. And then in Matthew chapter 14, it says, Jesus healed a multitude of people out of compassion for them. And now as he's preparing to leave, the verses we saw in the very beginning, he didn't take this love of God for man out of the world. He didn't say, well, I was here for 33 and a half years to bring this love of God among you and now I'm going to take it back to heaven with me and guys, you can write about what it was like. No, he told his disciples, put John 15, 9 back up again. The love that the Father had for me, I've given to you. Romans 5, 5 says, for the love of God, this kind of love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. See, now you are joined to Christ. He's in you and, I, and, and, and you're in Him. So this very love, remember we said in the very beginning what, what Andrew Murray's quote was, that now the love of God, this, this eternal, immortal love of God, was now in the human heart to go from man to man. And Jesus is now physically left here but he's left that love here in you and me. Paul's prayer that we be strengthened by power and by the Holy Spirit within us. That Christ, this love, might dwell in our hearts by faith. So that being rooted and grounded in this love, we might come to know to, together, that's the key. Together with all the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding. As we went through these stories, we saw God's heart towards people whose lives are broken. God's heart towards people who have sinned and, and yes, deserve judgment. And we saw God's love and compassion and hope that He gave them. And yet what the church has done so often is just what the Pharisees done. We've judged those broken people. We've judged those that are sinned. We've judged those that are weak. We've condemned them. Because when we do that, just as the Pharisees did it, we make ourselves feel better by judging others. But the compassion, the love of God that He once communicated to people that He loves, can only come to them through us. And it's when we give that grace, when we give that love, when we give that compassion, when we give that f forgiveness, that His love for that person gets communicated to them. Just think about some time in your life. Oh, we've got to end. Think about some time in your life when you were at your lowest and you knew what you deserved and someone reached out and put an arm around you. Someone reached out and gave you a word of encouragement and a word of hope. That was God's love for you being brought to you through that person. And the church, the body of Christ is here to bring that love, God's love, to one another and to a world that's dying and lost and hurting and what it's desperate for is to experience that love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. It's beyond our ability to grasp this love that you have for us, but we can experience it. And so, Father, as we come to the end and, and we're getting ready to enter into Christmas itself, 
we pray again that you would strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner man, that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith, that being rooted and grounded in this love, we, your church, might come to know, together with all of us, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know by experience the love of Christ, that's been, the love of God that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Just as-